October 2nd is upon us, uh, final month of the campaign, and uh, at, we woke up, many of us, this morning to the news uh, from Twitter, which is where we get most of our news, unfortunately, these days, but directly from the president himself saying uh, he and the first lady positive when it comes to COVID-19. Here to explain what that means, if we can try to make sense of it, and what the hell happened the rest of this week, which boys are a lot, is Jason Matthews, myself, I'm Tyler Axness. Jason, holy cow, um, here we are. It's October 2nd, as I said, and now you've got the diagnosis of this uh, very severe virus to the President of the United States. Um, I don't even know what questions to ask on the implications, not only of uh, you know his health, uh, but what it means for the campaign and ultimately, you know, who, who's been around because the campaign's in full swing. Um, where do you want to begin? Well, I mean, <laughs> to use the old cliche that we keep using throughout this year, we're in uncharted territory here. We're really in uncharted waters. Um, you know, a little historical background, you know, if there's any kind of a, of a um, comparison here, this is the most serious presidential health event that we've seen uh, going back to um, Ronald Reagan's assassination attempt in 1981, uh, where the president's life was hanging in the balance there for a few hours. Uh, Reagan in 1985 uh, went in for a routine physical, had a colonoscopy performed, and, and it was discovered that he had uh, uh, cancerous polyps that were in their early stages. He had colon cancer surgery. He had that surgery done on a Saturday as to not rattle the markets. The last time I checked this morning, the markets were down about 300 points because the markets abhor uncertainty. Um, but I think uh, probably a better, a better analogy here or, or something that's more comparable, uh, a presidential health event that's more comparable is Dwight Eisenhower's stroke in 1957, where he, was, um, he suffered a stroke while he was in Denver um, in November of 57, and he um, had about a month of convalescence. And the markets, there was market turmoil for about two weeks um, to see if he would make a full recovery, and he did. Of course, all of those events that I just described happened uh, in non-presidential election years. And here we are, you know, a month out, tomorrow is the third. Um, that's one month to election day, and we have the most serious presidential health crisis um in in uh in at least almost 40 years yeah i mean it, it's it, it's a dark morning you know uh, of uh, what the implications are going forward um you know i mean i've already seen some some questions being thrown out on twitter as i've been scrolling through trying to make sense of you know how how the president of the united states contracts this knowing um, you know, the, the severity of it. And, and I mean that in as far as some of the guidelines that the White House itself should have implemented to keep him, you know, as safe as possible from this. Now, unfortunately, he and the First Lady getting this and people are already saying, well, there's going to be no more debates. You know, you know, with everything given, you know, we're all wishing that the full recovery, speedy recovery. I know that they said that he's experiencing mild symptoms. Uh, but, you know, we're going with the hope and the assumption that uh, he recovers fully. And, you know, you, then what? You've got two weeks left of a debate yeah. in which he's on the ballot. People are already voting. People have been voting for, you know, dang near a month in some states. Yeah, millions so, have already voted. I, I mean, I just it, – it's one of those weird things as being in this position as far as a media personality now because the severity of it and you're trying to, you know, rationalize or at least – 
provide a path forward of, okay, well, what does this mean without sounding insensitive, you know? Uh, nobody, nobody knows, nobody knows what it means. And anybody who's out there speculating and saying otherwise isn't being straight with, with uh, listeners or viewers. I mean, this is, this is one of those, I would probably say one in 10,000 events that happens in a campaign um, where you look back and you say, I, at, at the moment when it's happening, you know, who knows how this is going to impact um, the campaign. I think that it is a given now that there will not be uh, presidential debates. Uh, the next presidential debate was scheduled for October 15th and then the week following that. I think that's a pretty much a given that that's not going to happen. I think there's real question as to whether next week's vice presidential debate is going to take place. Um, uh, the, you know, the president, let, let's look at the facts here. The president is 74 years old. Um, he is overweight um, by all accounts, not from his doctors, um, but by those that are familiar enough with the president say that he um, doesn't eat well for somebody his age, doesn't get exercise like he should, um, and has, um, in his, um, uh, has some high cholesterol. So you check all those boxes on the basis of what you see with people with and I hate this term, and I hope we retire this term when COVID, when this pandemic is over with, but underlying health conditions, um, you know, he is at risk there. But, you know, so is Joe Biden. And, and the question now is, when was the president at his most contagious? And clearly, if you go by what the scientists and, and medical experts say, the president was contagious on Tuesday night in that debate. And he was on that debate with Joe, on that stage with Joe Biden for 98 minutes. Uh, and so, you know, Biden, I saw today was going to get tested. But, you know, then on top of it all, the, the Trump group, the, the cohort that was with the president at the debate on Tuesday night, they refused to wear masks. Well, and, uh, you know, it, it's not just the, the president. You have whole picks, which the speculation yeah. is that on, you know, Wednesday is perhaps when, you know, she, she, and this is when we talk about uncertainty of what this means, this positive case of the president of the United States. I mean, that, that just is a continuation of a, the uncertainty of what the impacts of COVID are, you know, how coronavirus, you know, why some people are more susceptible because by all accounts, Hope Hicks, the you know, uh, close assistant to the president, tested negative Wednesday morning, got on Air Force One, developed symptoms Wednesday throughout the afternoon, and then tested positive Wednesday night. So, you know, was it, was it her that, uh, you know, the close proximity, uh, you know, the uncertainty of, well, then where in that mix did she become positive? Was it a false negative earlier in the day? I, I mean, it, it's just... Yeah, you have her. Now you're seeing that to the, the Republican National Committee chairwoman, uh, Rona McDaniel, I believe. Is that, is that her last yeah. name? Or, yeah. Okay. Um, actually, Romney. Romney, yeah. yeah um, but she, her, her married name is McDaniel. Okay. Um, uh, you know, and she te tests positive, according to just minutes ago looking. So, I mean, there is, uh, th there's, uh, you know, uh, there's spread going on within the, the Republican major national party that's got close ties to the president. That's very troubling. It's very troubling. Um, ABC News was reporting this morning that um, there is a there's palpable panic and fear in the West Wing um, because, um, you know, you and I haven't been to the West Wing. We know people who have been. Mm -hmm. It is nothing like it was portrayed in the television series, The West Wing. It is very compact. You, many people are sitting on top of each other in yeah. that West Wing, um, very close quarters. Um, Chris Christie said um, this morning, 
Uh, he was in debate prep with the president uh, over the weekend. Uh, Hope Hicks was in the room with the president, along with the president's campaign manager, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows was coming in and out. Nobody in that small conference room in the White House were wearing any masks. The debate prep took place on Sunday, um, a little bit over into Monday. Um, and, and on Friday, the president was with the RNC chair and campaigning in Michigan. On Saturday, he was with his Supreme Court nominee, Judge Amy Coney Barrett and her family. Uh, and so now there's question about um, her having been exposed. And, and, I, and we were talking before we got on today that you had heard that she had tested positive. Negative. Or tested negative, negative. excuse me. Um, uh, you know, this, this, thing, this thing is not, I'm afraid this thing's not gonna, not gonna end well um, in, in this sense. And that is that I think in the coming days, we're going to have more and more people close to the president that are testing positive. Uh, and, and this, this is, uh, this is serious. I mean, you, this is as serious as you get. The, you know, and, and one thing, and uh, the white house didn't voluntarily disclose this, you know, they, they didn't come out and say, Hey, uh, whole picks. I mean, th this was brought up by journalism. This is brought up by reporting. And some of those reporters are finding out through reports that were with Hope Hicks, with the president, with uh, mm -hmm. uh, McDaniel throughout you know, the last few days. And that's where it goes to uh, it, it, I, the whole the, the testing situation. I mean, just to talk about how we've handled this whole pandemic period. This in the last five hours, six hours, eight hours, whatever it's been since it's become news. This is a microcosm of, I think, what a lot of people have been going through across the country of, all right, well, when did you come into contact with so-and-so? Yeah. Were they positive at the time? It's just, and that uncertainty, the stress, now that is hitting the highest office in the United States. And, I mean, you think about, you know, I, unfortunately I started going on on the political side, but let's talk about national security. Uh, thankfully, the vice president has uh, come out, and they've tested negative, him and uh, uh, his wife. But, yeah, I mean, you think about, what this could mean if this does spread and it doesn't go as, as good as what we're hoping it goes. No. And this is why uh, Mike Pence needs to be put into a bubble and not only Mike Pence, but also Nancy Pelosi and the military in, in, in these continuity of government operations, the military uh, and national security is, is heavily involved here. And the reports were this morning that Nancy Pelosi has been contacted by the appropriate officials on continuity of government operations. Um, because because uh, the it is in line of the presidency, it is uh, the vice president and then the speaker of the house. Um, and um, you know if there's if there is something to to look at what this can do um, to government operations, I'll give you the example of what happened just six months ago, about six months ago in Great Britain, where Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Uh, was hospitalized. And it was about a 50-50 proposition whether he was going to be put on a ventilator. Um, and, and they do not have the continuity of operations that we have here in the United States. And, and Johnson um, was in the hospital for several days. Uh, another, another world leader um, is the president of Brazil, uh, Bolsonaro. Uh, he, was, he was hospitalized as well. Um, and and um, you know, the, 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 the uncertainty of all of this, um, you know, the military had to come out today and, and, and say that they have not raised the threat level at all because 
That is always an immediate concern whenever there is the possibility of a presidential incapacity of, of raising the threat level. They said they, they haven't done that. Um, uh, but in past cases, for example, in the Eisenhower situation in 57, it was a different world back then, but the Americans went directly to the Soviets and told the Soviets, don't try anything. Um, you know, and, and the world is even more uncertain today than it was in 1957. This is deadly serious. Well, and the, the national security, but I think about the day-to-day operations. I, I mean, and, and private sector businesses, you've had some of those that, you know, are fortunate enough to, to have the luxury to be able to work from home. I, I mean, can you run the executive branch of the United States, the White House, from an apartment? You know, to where you probably don't have the security of the telecoms. I mean, we know about the cybersecurity threats that we're facing. Uh, you know, the, the implications that, you know, it, when you start peeling back the, the layers and just asking basic questions of functions, it's pretty terrifying, Jason. Well, it, it is terrifying. Um, you know, during the days immediately after 9-11, Vice President Cheney was kept separated from the president. Um, and um, he was operating out of Camp David and in other undisclosed locations. So they, they have the means to do this. Um, but the president and the vice president's circles uh, intersect and they interact so frequently. Um, and that's, that has to be the paramount, the paramount concern right now. Well, well, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know what more to say about, uh, about it besides uh, that. Yeah, this is uh, one of those Friday mornings of what you just kind of have to you know, take a deep breath and say, holy shit, um, mm-hmm. things uh, have escalated. And, you know, I, I think back of just this last week, I mean, this whole podcast we do is what the hell happened this week. And, you know, it, let's, it started with a New York Times piece about the president's finances, the taxation, you had the debate. Now we're hearing about this COVID-19 positive, the United uh, president of the United States, how that's impacting the market. And the same morning that you're finding out that the economy isn't coming back as far yeah. as jobs numbers at the rate they were. This is just a, a shitty week uh, well, in America. Uh, I got to tell you, uh, this season's script, uh, script writers, they're really outdoing themselves, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, you think about this. I mean, you know, what we're talking about this morning is, is as serious as it gets, but if you were a, a novelist or a scriptwriter and you went to a studio and said, here's a script for, we want to do a series about this year. We begin with a presidential impeachment. Um, we go on through with a deadly pandemic. We have racial unrest, you know, and you go right on through. And by the time they would have gotten to the episode for this week, they would have said, I don't believe any of this. You can't make this shit up. I mean, or you're making this shit up. That's what they would have come right out and said. There's no way. This would have been the week that the, that the producers or the, the, the executives would have looked at and said, you've jumped the shark. Nobody's going to believe this. Because on Sunday, you had the New York Times reveal the president's uh, tax records or you know the findings from the president's tax records, which were given to the New York Times through multiple sources, which was a months-long investigation which involved going through 30 different editors at the New York Times, which brought in the entire legal team for the New York Times, which required that the reporters actually sat through interrogations with the New York Times attorneys just to make sure that they were on solid legal ground here. That upended the race, so we thought then. Then you go into Tuesday's debate, uh, which was a, a shit show and a dumpster fire, uh-huh. Uh, and, and then you had the president who, who told the Proud Boys, the white supremacist group, to stand back and to stand by. 
Uh, and it's just been one, one thing after another. I mean, you know, when we were when we were looking at how do we plan this podcast, you know, we're looking at well, where do we start for this week? Well, let's be real. We don't plan anything because we don't ever <laughs> know. Have. Yeah, well, you do. I, I can hear your papers shuffling around. Uh, but you know, I mean, I wake up Friday morning because again, it was well, what the hell happened overnight? And then you think about by the time this gets published how there's been so many Friday evening news yeah. dumps or bad stories that have come out after that. We have to try to remember for the next week. And with everything that happens every single week of this year, it's tough to keep track of it. Let's uh, get whiplash. Yeah. It, let's, let's go back to the text. Let's start at the beginning of this week. Uh, well now after we recapped what yeah. happened this morning, let's uh, start the, on Sunday. Yeah. Sunday, the, the tax story bombshell uh, is a light way of putting it. Or so we thought at the beginning of the week, you know, when, when the revelations are that $750 in federal income taxes were paid debt, I think is the more the, well, I shouldn't say the more, but it, very striking the amount of debt that is coming due uh, from the president of the United States. And ultimately the question is, well, who does he owe that money to? That's the question. You know, in Watergate, the question that was asked by Senator Howard Baker in the Watergate hearings was what did the president know? When did the president know it? The question now is uh, what does the president owe and to whom does he owe it? I mean, that, that's the question here. We have the president of the United States who's $400 million in debt. And who is he in debt to? Uh, which is a national security issue. We were talking about national security a moment ago with the COVID diagnosis. Mm -hmm. This is a bigger national security issue with a president who financially is compromised. And, and that is not an exaggeration. That's not hyperbole. That cannot be construed as partisan. That's a fact. And it's a fact because if you're going through a security clearance in the military, in the intelligence, or in the federal government, in any position where you have to go through a security clearance, any kind of debt can be used as grounds not to hire you, not to give you a security clearance because they're viewed as compromise. If you're somebody that has a lot of credit card debt, you're at risk of not passing your security clearance. And here you have the president of the United States. It is revealed with almost, I mean, think of it. It's almost a half a billion dollars in right. debt. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then you take a look at the president's behavior in, in not condemning Saudi Arabia for the butchering of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, of, of not saying uh, anything bad about Vladimir Putin, which now, by the way, that's another thing that got lost. Just yesterday, the president's national security advisor, former national security advisor, H.R. McMaster came out and said that the president is aiding and abetting Vladimir Putin. This is the president's former national security advisor. This isn't John Bolton. This right. is the, the, uh, another one of his national security advisors saying this. Uh, and then you take a look at, at China. Does China have leverage? The question here is who, who's holding that debt? And then the New York Times revealed that by 2022, they're going to have to call the note. They're going to have to get paid. And so there's a real specter here that if the president is reelected, that, that the president could be foreclosed on. It's just unreal. I mean, it's just jaw dropping. And you know, the, the, the years fights that have gone on over taxes, you know, because promises made that, Hey, I'll release them. And of course never came. Um, that has now become a, you know, a, a political attack because every other presidential candidate 
uh, has done this. And now, you know, rightfully so, people begin asking, well, why not? Are you hiding something? And now we've had just a couple layers peeled back, which just leads to more uh, striking questions that lend into the speculation of why he wasn't revealing them in the first place. Yeah, uh, And, you know, I mean, I, I'm curious because obviously you and I, I, I think the big question is on the debt, but let's go back to the $750. Paid that's, worse than if, that's worse than not paying any taxes. Well, uh, so you got the 750 and we all know that we all pay more in federal income taxes than that. Uh, but when, when you think about the implications, the, the image that he has built for himself, that, you know, he's a billionaire that has given up his personal time, his life of luxury to take to the White House to defend the forgotten men and women of this country. That's their term that they hammer over and over again. The people that are, you know, middle to lower income, he's out there fighting for you. And he, he understands your plight. And now you find out that, well, he wasn't actually a billionaire. He owes half a billion in debt and he only paid $750 in income tax. Does this at all impact that that soft support of, all right, well, you know, he was a successful businessman. I trust him with the economy. Well, I think that's, I think that's what injures him the most is on this whole argument about him being you know, strong in the economy. And, and he has consistently led Joe Biden in the polls on who's better for the economy. Uh, somebody made a, a great observation. Somebody, it, it, was in, it was in the New York Times story. They had a follow-up story. I believe it was on Monday. Um, you know, this week, everything blurs together. Uh, but there was somebody that had, had said that if you would have gone to Donald Trump on June 14th, 2015, the day before he announced he was running, before he went down the golden escalator mm-hmm. and said, here, I'm going to map something out here. Uh, you, you're, you can win the presidency. Um, and then, um, but you're going to be impeached in the third year of your presidency. And then in the final year of your presidency, um, you're going to win impeachment. Um, you're going to fight that off. But then uh, a deadly pandemic is going to hit and ravage the country. And your leadership is going to be called into question. And your administration is going to be tested. And then you're going to find yourself uh, down by high single digits, or in, in some cases, double digits um, in the presidential race. Uh, oh, and then to top it all off, uh, the New York Times is going to get your taxes and they're going to reveal your tax history and your and your debt situation. If you would have gone to him with that on June 14, 2015, he says, there's no way in hell Donald Trump would have said, I'm running for president. Right. Nor would, uh, I think, very few people. <laughs> exactly. And, and what's, what's interesting is, you know, Michael Cohen, um, and, and Michael Cohen, of course, is, is uh, you know, he's, he spent time in prison. So you always have to look at those individuals that cop a plea and, you know, they say, okay, well, you know, their credibility, their veracity can be called into question. Everything that Michael Cohen alleged and has alleged was proven in that New York Times story about the president's financial situation. And what, what I think is so damning to the president, uh, in addition to the debt and the fact that he only paid $750, is that at the core of Donald Trump, he is a marketer. Mm-hmm. He's a marketer. It is all about building a brand. That's it. That's it. Well, and you brought a name that I've been saying, well, maybe he, it sounds like maybe you know more than I do. Cause uh, when I was on my radio show, KFGO two to four Monday through Friday, um, one in all markets where it airs. There we go. There's our one plug for the week. Yeah. Uh, but, 
it, when this broke at the early uh, the beginning of this week, I said, "Look, I think it was Michael Cohen that that gave away these documents. That he's the one that talked to the New York Times." But then you say there was multiple sources that did. Yeah, yeah, there are multiple sources. Who are you talking to? Well, that was in the New York Times story, and oh. and they they interviewed the reporters. It was Michael Schmidt um, was one of the New York Times correspondents. He was on. He's he's not in the byline, but he was one of the many reporters that that was. Um, uh, assisting with this report, he said there are multiple sources um, that they had to confirm this through multiple sources, and and the first hit that the New York Times had on Trump's taxes was last year, and it was later revealed that the source for that was his niece Mary Mary Trump, mm. who's of course written that bestseller book. Um, uh, and she's been very vocal in her criticism of her uncle. There is speculation, it's just pure speculation, that, that um, Trump's sister, who's a former federal judge, uh, Mary Trump Barry, um, may have been a source. Um, the more likely culprits are those individuals who have access to the president's files um, in, in his, his accountants. Um, and, and, and what's interesting is, is that the president came out and said, well, as he always does, well, this is fake news. Well, it's not fake news because they went to the president's attorney. The president's attorney had a response to the New York Times article on Sunday and, and didn't deny a lot of things. <laughs> and so this isn't, this, isn't, this isn't fake news at all. Uh, this is what we've been talking about for the last you know, for the last four years, ever since he jumped, ever since he came down that escalator. But two things you have to look at. He has been under audit from the IRS. So, so they, he wasn't they, lying there. He wasn't lying about yeah. that because the question is, he received a refund of 7.5, around seven and a half million dollars. And that is in dispute uh, between him and the federal government. And the other thing that the New York Times could not find was any connection to Russian oligarchs. Uh, and so, so, you know, those are two things that the New York Times, you know, he has been under audit and they, they have not found as of yet any connections to the Russians, which of course has been uh, widely speculated on. Uh, but, you know, he said, oh, he, how he came back and said, well, this is fake news. But in that same tweet, he said, well, this is fake news and these were illegally obtained. Well, if it's illegally obtained, then it means that they're real documents and how is it fake? And if it's fake, then there's nothing exactly. to be have illegally obtained. <laughs> Precisely. Anyway. <laughs> well, the, 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 well, the the one other thing on this here is that this has been a history with Trump, um, where it, it's constant boom and bust with him, and and he was on his um, back on his on his knees essentially uh, in the early part of the century when Mark Burnett from NBC came um, and sold him on The Apprentice, and he got all the money for being on The Apprentice. Uh, to which somebody uh, on Twitter this week, and I don't know who you are, um, and you're probably not a listener, but I got to give you credit, give you a shout out, said that NBC for years uh, is the network that tried to convince us that Donald Trump was a successful businessman and Bill Cosby was a loving and de devoted father and husband. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, mic drop. Right, right but, but, you know, this, this compounds the president's legal challenges here because the state of New York has his taxes because they're looking at tax fraud in the state of New York. When you go in and you look at the New York Times story and you talk to anybody and you listen to anybody who is a tax expert, a tax attorney, they're all saying that the president here through the deductions that he's making um, is in serious 
trouble here. And not the least of which is the fact that he overvalued his properties in order to get loans, mm-hmm. which is bank fraud. So, so we now have the prospect of a president who could be foreclosed on in a second term, who's compromised by virtue of the fact that he's about a half billion dollars in debt. And then to top it all off is um, before the diagnosis was calling into question the integrity of the election and whether there would be a peaceful transfer of power, which brings in what would be up until this point entirely unthinkable, but which has been floated by more than a few respected politicos that the president, if he loses re-election, uh, could be using this threat of not having a peaceful transfer of power as leverage to get a pardon or to cop some kind of a fled federal plea against, again, you can't make this shit up. No, you cannot make this shit up. It's just every, you know, uh, every revelation over this last week in particular, or every admission has just led to the, is it the end of this year yet? And it just, you can't, I mean, we try to be rational creatures, right? We try to rationalize, okay, here's the reasoning behind it. And some of this shit, there is no rationale behind it. And it's the speculation. You think, well, there's no way that this could possibly be a a rational outcome. And then here we are, uh, you know, depending on timeframes. Okay, well, I guess, in fact, that was accurate. Michael Cohen, for example, he's saying, making all these allegations. Well, now it turns out after a New York Times piece, well, he was not necessarily lying. Let's move on. Because that was Sunday, Tuesday, a debate. Uh, or uh, do you call it a debate? It was a shit it was a, show. It was a debacle. I, I, uh, I was angry watching. I was screaming serenity now, just like Frank Costanza. <laughs> Cause that's all I could do to try to lower my blood pressure because of the way it was handled. And it seems as though, I mean, anybody that's been an observer of American politics and specifically Donald Trump as a candidate, as a person on stage, as the persona knows how he handles himself, you know, in the, uh, the, the larger than life, I'm, you know what, I get my way when I'm on this stage. And now with the, the title of the president certainly has amplified that. And it seems that everybody knew how he was going to act going into that debate, except for the uh, commission on presidential debates and Joe Biden himself for the first 30 minutes. And Chris Wallace. Yeah, and Chris yeah. Wallace. Okay, three. There's the three people, <laughs> the three most important entities mm-hmm. that should have known and been prepared, uh, were not in how yeah. the president conducted himself. Well, let's start with Joe Biden. Let's just start with Joe Biden right out of the gate. Uh, Donald Trump's performance in the debate gave a lifeline to Joe Biden, because if Donald Trump had not constantly interrupted, if Donald Trump had been just a little presidential. Mm-hmm. and had, been, had functioned as a somewhat normal candidate. The story coming out of this debate would be Joe Biden's less than stellar performance. Yeah. Yeah, the, Biden, the first 30 minutes, he looked tired. He looked, he looked, he looked tired. aged. He showed his age. Yeah. And, and, and can I bring this up real quick here? The, the COVID sure. diagnosis, the president's COVID diagnosis, he's 74 years old. Uh, Joe Biden is going to turn 78 in November. Uh, um, Mitch McConnell is well into his 70s. Nancy Pelosi is 80. This, the House Majority Leader is 81. The House Assistant Majority Leader is 79. Uh, Chuck Schumer is in his 70s. This is a country that is being led by elderly people. Mm-hmm. 
just just to put put that into perspective no offense to the people that are in that age group listening no, to this podcast. No, absolutely not but i think many of those listeners who are hearing this would agree that perhaps we shouldn't have uh, so many elderly people leading the country um past the age of 75 but but be that be that as it may um biden's performance was not strong uh he he got better as as the night wore on and he did land a couple blows on the president and did get a couple good lines in there but um he mangled his response on health care uh he mangled his response in terms of the green new deal and he didn't provide an answer on whether he supports expanding the supreme court or eliminating the senate filibuster mm -hmm. you can't sit there and say i'm not going to you know take answer that question because if i give an answer the president is just going to run with it and misconstrue what i'm saying you have to come up with an answer on this mr biden and so he did not have um the the night that he needed um, but but he walked out of there as the winner of the debate because Donald Trump was an asshole. And, and it's it's exactly that. Uh, you know, um, the, the moment that stood out to me, and I, I think it, it was maybe, you know, in hindsight now it's starting to gain more traction because everybody's talking about the standbys, you know, the standback standby. Uh, but the thing that I think struck the chord that was the demise of Donald Trump's debate performance was when uh, Joe – Biden was talking about Bo Biden mm -hmm. and uh, you know, the, the way of which the president handled not only talking about, you know, his opponent's dead son that served uh, but also then turning it to, back to Hunter who has had an addiction issue. And I mean, how many people out there listening uh, or just, you know, have know somebody that's been in that situation and that did not sit well with those individuals. And there's a lot of them. And I think that was the lowest point of that night. I, I am a fairly cynical and jaded individual in my ripe old age of 42. Um, and I don't have many moments anymore in the last four years where my, my jaw opens and comes down, but that was it right there. Mm -hmm. Because, because what it shows, um, I think is, and David Brooks in the New York times had this wonderful article, uh, column yesterday about an essential immoralism to the man. Um, you know, when somebody says, <clears throat> it's just a natural human instinct, natural human response. When somebody says, you know, my kid is serving, your natural inclination is to thank them for their service. When somebody says that my child has died, is to give them sympathy and express that sympathy. And when somebody says, you know, that their child has battled an addiction, is to, again, give support. But to use a child's addiction against your opponent is beyond the pale. Mm -hmm. It shows a sociopathic tendency that is, that is just simply revolting. It's absolutely revolting. There is not a family in this country that has not been indirectly or directly impacted by addiction. Mm -hmm. It is sickening to have that brought into the political fray. It is just simply beyond the pale. And that was the moment for me as well, much more so than the Proud Boys moment. Because, because that shouldn't surprise anybody considering there were very fine people on both sides in Charlottesville. That shouldn't surprise anybody after that. But to bring up Hunter Biden's cocaine addiction um, is, is 
is revolting. Yeah, and that's why uh, the the it's indefensible. It, well, it is. It, it, it was it was disgusting. I mean, and I'm being very polite and uh, saying and using the term disgusting of what what that displayed, and I, that is the moment that. Uh, has stuck, I think, now as people look back on that debate, well, even just the snapshot right away, you know, the, the instant focus groups that were being run by Republicans, by conservative think tanks. Uh, they, it was not a good night for the people that the president needed to pull over into his campaign and to get their vote. It was not a good night. Whatever they, the plan was from the Chris Christie's, the Rudy Giuliani's, everybody that, that prepped him for that debate – they missed the mark and they missed it by a long shot because yeah. of the way he handles himself. I, I have to say something here. And, and this is what really also disturbed me. Um, back in, when I was younger, when I was, uh, I went through speech therapy. I have long since overcome my issues. I did not stutter, um, but I, I had to go through like, like millions have speech therapy as a kid. And I have, um, I have a family member who stutters. Uh, we all know somebody who stutters. Joe Biden is a stutterer. And, and while you can conquer stuttering, it is still an issue in your life well into adulthood. And if you watched what Donald Trump was doing on Tuesday night in constantly interrupting to, to throw off Joe Biden's train of thought, um, those who know stuttering, those who stutter and have overcome it and, and have to deal with this, though, will tell you what he was doing was trying to provoke Joe Biden to have a stuttering fit on national television before an audience of 73 million. Mm -hmm. And that that was a strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Get, get them off. Uh, get them I off. Mean, how uh, low do you have yeah. to go? Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and, and we're, we're expressing our concern today because it's, it's, he's still the president of our country, but, but, and, and you wouldn't wish the virus on anybody. All right. Yeah. But this is also a man who mocked Hillary Clinton when she took three days off of the campaign trail um, for pneumonia four years ago because of pneumonia. He mocked a disabled reporter. I mean, th there is an inhumanity to the man. Yeah. There is there is, as, as, as David Brooks again said, an immoralism to this man. It's beyond the defensible. You can't defend it. No, no one. And to pivot away from that, because I see it, I'm looking at the clock here. Don't want to keep people too long. Of uh, you know what? So you can't. We nobody. They'll try because I see it. I see it right here in North Dakota. We've got a U.S. senator that tries to defend the behavior, uh, and they're saying, you know what? We can put up with that behavior for a couple of things. One is the courts. Two is the booming economy that we've had. Well, you know what? You're going to get the court. I mean that that's that's written. The economy is nowhere where it was, and we can argue till we're blue in the face that, look, you were inherited a great economy that was already on this trajectory. And now we are looking at we've got their economists, Cudlow and all those guys, and this is going to be a V-shaped recovery. We had the big drop because the economy slowed down, shut down because of this virus. And then it's shooting right back up. Kevin Kramer would call it like a rocket ship. Well, we find out today in the numbers – that uh, that that's not the case. The recovery in jobs numbers, which is the real economy, not the stock market, uh, is slowing down. And so now the the whole behavior that has been excused because we're getting what we want policy wise, that's not shaping up anymore. No, 
No, uh, this morning, the job growth numbers on Friday came out. Um, the experts were expecting 800,000 new jobs being created. It was 661,000, well below expectations. Um, unemployment is at 7.9%. Ground that up, that of course is 8%. Um, and, and just yesterday, in fact, this entire week, Disney lays, is, uh, laid off thousands of workers and the airlines are now laying off thousands of workers. Mm -hmm. and, and on Capitol Hill, Pelosi and the Democrats, House Democrats, uh, passed a $2.2 trillion uh, relief package. She's trying to negotiate with Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. The stumbling block here is Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans that are saying that this is too expensive. The price tag is too expensive. In the meantime, thousands of Americans are losing any kind of support that they had and they're losing their livelihoods. At the same time that there's a Supreme Court nominee that is going to be going up for confirmation hearings, barring anything unforeseen, where the fate of the Affordable Care Act is hanging in the balance, where if you did have COVID, you now have a pre-existing condition that could be used against you if, if the Affordable Care Act's pre-existing conditions requirement is struck down. There you have it. There you have it. And oh, by the way, how many people that are, have been laid off or, or have lost their jobs were, uh, reco lost uh, their well, yeah, had their uh, health care through their employer? Now they're talking about, you know, if you get rid of the ACA, you got those other markets of which you could have dipped into, gone. Medicaid expansion for low-income people, gone. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the worst possible moment to lose healthcare during a global health pandemic. And, there and there's people there, cheering it on. Kevin there, Kramer yeah. said, this is going to be a key part to the whole uh, you know, uh, nomination process for the next justice is the ACA, as though he's rooting it on when he, last year, I've got the video of it saying, well, we don't know what happens if the ACA is overturned. And they've done nothing since then to have a soft landing for those that rely yeah. on that coverage. Well, I think there's a ticking time bomb here uh, in the Supreme Court hearings. I think you can just, you know, for one thing, it's a Supreme Court confirmation hearings are always a shit show uh, in this modern era, hyper-partisan era we're in. But the other factor is um, there was revelations that came out this week on Barrett, um, two in particular that came out um, within the last 48 hours. The one is, is that she had um, signed her name to a... Um, a full page advertisement in the South Bend, Indiana Tribune uh, back, um, I think it was in 2007, um, where she had her name published calling for the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Um, and she did not report that to the Senate Judiciary Committee. Um, and and these, these judicial nominees are required, every piece of paper they've essentially touched, anything they've written has to be given to the Senate Judiciary Committee. In comparison, Neil Gorsuch submitted in his voluminous packet, uh, which, which included over a thousand pages, he included an op-ed that he co-signed as one of 96 former Supreme Court law clerks back in 2004. He submitted everything. She, she left that out. She says, her, her team says, well, that was an oversight. The other thing that came out was her opinions on IVF, in vitro fertilization, um, where she, she is uh, taking a view, reportedly, and she's going to have to explain in the confirmation hearing that she may be opposed to IVF. Now, now I think that it, it's a given where her opinions are in Roe versus Wade, but IVF, why I think that this, in addition to the ACA, is going to be huge, is who does not know some couple that has uh, 
dealt with IVF, have dealt with, with um, the inability to conceive and have to go through IVF. Uh, and, and, and you're looking again at the suburbs and suburban women and all the polls that have come out this week, all the polls that came out after the debate shows that this, gen this it's not a gender gap, it's a gender chasm. And, and if IVF, her opinions on IVF are not flushed out and clarified, and that becomes an issue in the closing weeks of the campaign, that's not gonna impact uh, women in the suburbs only. Uh, it could have a real effect on other people as well. And it's gonna have a huge impact for these Senate Republicans in tight reelection campaigns. Jason, are you sit sitting down? Mm -hmm. Okay, because I want you to be sitting down for this. All the things you just said, those Senate Republicans do not give a shit. They're <laughs> going to push this justice through because they, this was the, this was what, again, going back to, we can look back beyond the, the, the despicable behavior of this man as long as we get the courts. And this is maybe it's gonna it's gonna probably cost them some seats, but this might be their last chance if this election's going as it holds up right now to get it done. They will look past it. They will not give a shit. Mitch McConnell will get reelected. Some of his other members might not, but you know what? They're gonna have the Supreme Court. Well, and I gotta tell you this. Um, <laughs> I know we're running short on time, and you know someday we'll actually have shows where we can actually dig a little deeper into some some major issues. Uh, but the news is just like coming out of the fire hydrant right now. So we're trying to keep up with everything. But there is a, a change taking place right now amongst the Democratic senators and amongst members of Congress about expanding the size of the Supreme Court. Biden doesn't want to touch it. There are many Democratic consultants that say this is bad politics. But if you talk to legal experts at the end of the day, and people need to understand this, there's nothing in set in stone on the size of the Supreme Court. Um, we have expanded the size of the Supreme Court in years past throughout our history. It's been locked in at nine since 1869. So I, and I, I come back on this and I say for a very simple reason, we've expanded the size of the Congress over time. Uh, we've added new states in the unions. So we've got new senators. Why is it that in a country of, and I was saying this, I've been saying this for years. Why is it in a country of 333 million people that we have five individuals out of nine that hold the fate of the country in their hands. And it usually comes down to one of them deciding which block of four they're gonna vote for. And, and an argument that can be made for expanding the size of the Supreme Court isn't vengeance. It isn't to get back for a stolen seat. It is to lay out an argument that the court has become so politicized that by adding other justices to the court, you dilute the power of the individual justices to change the fate of America. The other, the other thing that comes into question here too is the very legitimacy of the court. And this is, this is John Roberts' nightmare come to life, is that the, that the Supreme Court is now a pinata. And yes, John Roberts gutted the Voting Rights Act. And yes, John Roberts voted to save the ACA in 2012 and switched his vote. The reason he switched his vote is he didn't want the Supreme Court to be front and center in the 2012 campaign. And now he's looking at this nightmare where he doesn't have control of the court. There are going to be five conservatives uh, and he's not the swing justice anymore. Yeah, yeah. And so to be continued, but, but, you know, there needs to be a discussion here. And I thought this about the Ginsburg passing is we need to have a discussion in this country, a serious discussion about constitutional and political reform. And the courts cannot be excluded from that discussion. 
Case made. Uh, one thing, do you want to go out on kind of a, I don't know, do, can we have levity on such a downer week? There is, we'll try. Uh, what choice do we have? We got to try to find something <laughs> to, to kind something. of snicker at. Um, <laughs> we've seen on Fox News and conservative radio for years, there's been a war on Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> a war on Christmas. It turns out this administration, the war has been coming from inside the White House. Melania Trump, I, I can't play the audio. This is going to be the explicit language moment, even though we've said a few. Uh, here's a quote from Melania Trump. I'm working my ass off with the Christmas stuff that, you know, who gives a fuck about Christmas stuff and decorations, but I need to do it right. Melania Trump, first lady of the United States. War on Christmas. <laughs> and remember, remember he was campaigning, Trump was campaigning in 2016, and he was saying that once I get elected president, you'll be able to say Merry Christmas again. Be able yeah. to say Merry Christmas, America. Yeah. yeah, that 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 revelation. Look, I've always said I thought Christmas was was um, I think Christmas is on solid ground. Uh, I, I don't think they're I don't think Christmas is going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, no, no, it's not. Uh, but it is October. And you know what? I if we have to pick our favorite holidays, which, to, uh, you know, when he grew up, people, oh, yeah, Christmas is great. I loved Halloween, man. You get, oh, the, you, you get the family and the friends together. You go out and trick or treating in a small town if you grew up yeah. in one, and just it was a blast. And well, you know, it's always and, one of those high holy days for a kid, you know. Uh, yeah. I I I am I am a huge Thanksgiving fan. That to me is the very best holiday. You are probably the only person I've ever heard that is. No, no, I know plenty of people that like Thanksgiving. I'll tell you why it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> why I love Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is all about getting together with friends and family, eating food, and watching football. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's Christmas without the hassle. Sure. You get right yeah. down to it. You don't have to buy presents for anybody. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have to you know, um, stay up till midnight. You know, if you want to go to church, you can go to church if you want to, you know, it is just, just put a turkey in the oven, cook a scrumptious meal, watch some (laughs) football, drink wine or beer, and just sit back and enjoy the day. And for the life of me, I don't know why we Americans don't close everything down on Friday afterwards, because that is the, the day after Thanksgiving is the most worthless day of work in the in the country everybody is still in a coma afterwards uh-huh. from that day so i'm a big thanksgiving fan try being a radio host what you got to try to entertain <laughs> to an audience what you're still hung over from the turkey that you had but <laughs> i have a great i have a great recipe that i can share with you on on uh, on your turkey but that's for another time maybe right. maybe maybe we'll do a thanksgiving episode and, and then, a thanksgiving and then, special it, what do you think the, this is from the kitchen from the kitchen yes. and we can talk we'll, about we'll, pairing your wines with your different dishes we'll turn the cameras on it'll be like uh hgtv <laughs> or the, the food network of what the hell happened this week thanksgiving edition here's how i'm going to wrap up this week we face multiple national security risks and there were uh, a lot of them uh, are are internal you know, they're brought on by ourselves, and it's just uh, – it's its a scary time, Jason. It is. Oh, well, that – we didn't end on levity. We tried. But we serious tried. as this week is, it's time to wrap it up. We'll try to break down what the hell happened next week. Until then, you guys take care of yourselves.